And I'm going to ask our IT staff to put up a slide that's on our bulletin cover of our new sermon series, Second Wind. And it's a picture of a kayaker trying to navigate some really turbulent waters. It looks like a class six or maybe a class seven stream with a set of rapids that are extremely difficult to traverse and could potentially swamp the kayak. And of course, the kayaker is going to be spending massive amounts of energy trying to stay afloat with the hope of making it to the other side and then being able to catch their breath, their second wind. Now, we've been living for a while now in some very turbulent waters. With our COVID-19 pandemic and the government lockdowns and the losses of freedoms as its citizens. And then there's all the economic complications from all of this. Job losses, business closures, understaffed businesses, and some businesses that are still not even allowed to go on at this point because people can't cross the borders. And inflation that's starting to set in. Factor in as well all of the riots, the protests, the destructions, the violence, the gang warfare, the spike in crime, the defunding of police, disrespect for our law enforcement officers, and for the rule of law. And our national waters right now have become extremely turbulent. The racial tensions, the social ones that exist out there, the political tensions, and the cultural shifts toward Marxism with its disregard for fellow citizens and fellow community members and even one's neighbors. And then add to this the entire ridiculing and the dismissing of our nation's founding and its founders and our constitution and our flag and the sacrifices that people have made, some even giving their lives for the very freedoms that people have now to demonstrate and protest all of this and the loss of freedoms that people have and, and Christian faith now that's even being ridiculed and castigated makes many people in our culture feel hopeless. Can we even navigate these waters? Can we survive as a nation? Will the church make it through this? This is serious whitewater that threatens to take us under, and we need to catch our breath right now. We need our second wind. And there's no better place for us to look for a second wind than the Word of God. And in 2 Corinthians, we see a section in the Bible that details the hardships and the heartaches that the Apostle Paul experienced in his ministry and how God saw him through all of it. As we begin looking at chapter 1, verses 3 to 11 today, we learn that God is our comfort in the midst of our afflictions. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about this later on in the sermon. But the term comfort here actually comes from the word strength. So God is our strength in our afflictions, the one who will see us through. And God's comfort is, this passage tells us, complete. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The Apostle Paul wants everyone to know right away that the comfort of God that is so desperately needed in this world right now does not come from within people, but from knowing the transcendent God who has delivered and will deliver his people. So the very first verse in this section is a declaration of who God is, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now what comes to your mind when you think of comfort. Not exactly this weather we've had recently, is it? It's hot, you know, it's uncomfortable. We get sticky. Comfort is a life of ease. 
a life of luxury, you know, a life of rest and leisure. No one has any wants or needs. There's not a care in the world. And we even have in our culture something known as comfort foods. You can eat these foods and it'll make you feel better. Well, the Greek word here for comfort is the Greek word parakaleo, and it's more than just a friendly word of encouragement. It means to strengthen. And this is why the Apostle Paul experienced in all his troubling times in his life and ministry the strengthening of God. And by the way, one of the biblical names of the Holy Spirit in the original Greek language is a derivative of this word parakaleo. It's the word paraklete the comforter, the one who comes alongside. So the title of the Holy Spirit, one of the titles, could really be the strengthener, the one who gives strength. In other words, God is our provision for affliction. God is our strength. Now verse 4 goes on, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, you may have noticed throughout this passage, as Crystal read it for us earlier, various different words that are being used to describe human heartache. The word trouble, the word suffering, the word despair, great pressure, a death sentence, uh, deadly peril, uh, just to name some. And all are used to describe pain, misfortune, and distress, which can come from external circumstances or even internal ones because of our own mental or spiritual states. And the Apostle Paul actually planted the church at Corinth during his second missionary journey as recorded in Acts chapter 18. And as a result of planting this church, he suffered much while he was there because some of the Jews resisted his church planting efforts and even persecuted him. In fact, uh, the Lord personally spoke to Paul one night in a vision to convince him to actually stay at Corinth despite his suffering. Let me read for you uh, what God said to him in that vision. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Here in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4, we are told that our in our suffering, we can help others in their suffering, that God actually strengthens us in our troubles so that we can strengthen others in theirs. And we discover God in deeper ways through these times of trouble, through these times of suffering. We learn what God can do. We learn who God is. We learn that God is trustworthy. And we learn that you can count on God. And these are valuable lessons that we can pass on to others to help others to know God. Verse 5 says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This tells us here that God's comfort to us, His strengthening that goes on in our lives, is mediated through Jesus, and that we abundantly share in the sufferings of Christ. This same apostle wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Yes, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. We actually carry on those sufferings in this world. In Christ, we can be rejected. 
We can be ridiculed. We can be maligned. We can be criticized and misunderstood. We can be mistreated. We can be persecuted. We can actually even experience impoverishment. And, and for some people in this world, as Christians, can be tortured and even persecuted and even lose their lives. God's Word says whenever sufferings are multiplied, God's comfort is also multiplied through Christ. His strengthening in our lives is also multiplied through Christ. Suffering in life and being comforted by God then enables Christians to carry on that same mediation that Christ is doing for us. We can mediate God's comfort then to others. There's sort of a spiritual algebra going on here. The measure of God's comfort matches the measure of Paul's suffering with the result that others be comforted to the same degree. Saying it briefly, Paul's suffering plus God's comfort equals comfort for others. And is that something that you recognize? Our suffering in life may actually be for someone else's benefit, for someone else's sake. Listen to verses 6 and 7. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. I cannot tell you the number of times that God has used the heartaches and the, and the, and the struggles and brokenness in my own life to connect with others to help them grow closer to God in their times of trouble. Just a little over a week ago, I officiated a wedding of a young couple, and both the, the, both the husband and the wife in this, in this marriage ceremony that was taking place had already lost their fathers early in life. And so their dads couldn't be there on their wedding day. And I knew both their dads, and I knew their fathers would be so proud of them as their children, and I just acknowledged as much in the wedding ceremony. Now, this couple knows me. I didn't have to say a word about my fatherless childhood. I didn't have to say anything about knowing what it's like to cry yourself to bed at night uh, in grief because you miss your own father. And I didn't have to say anything about what it's like to go to the marriage altar and not have your father be there to witness your marriage to this, you know, your spouse, this highlight in your life, this special day. I didn't have to say any of that, but it ministered to them and it ministered to those who were in attendance. My wife Cindy had a similar experience just this last week. Her very first job as a physical therapist out of college in 1983 was at a rehabilitation center in Toma, Wisconsin, where one of her early patients was a young teenage girl in a wheelchair. And she watched firsthand the mother of this young daughter advocate for her daughter for public and community-based services. And as a Christian woman, this woman modeled for Cindy how to do those things. And when you had your own special needs daughter, which we ended up having, we didn't know that would take place. But this woman showed us and she showed Cindy how to deal with all of these different agencies and do these different things and how to love your child through these troubling times. And my wife told this 81-year-old mom who she was talking to on the phone that you helped me so now I can help others with their children who have disability issues. You showed me how to love my daughter and now I'm able to show others. Now, did you notice here the intended outcome in this verse? Patient endurance. 
This means trusting God, believing that God's in charge, and that God will carry you through what you're experiencing. Learning patient endurance doesn't mean that God will necessarily take away our painful experiences, only that God will see us through them as we patiently wait. Now, a person I read recently from said their favorite verse in the Bible is, it came to pass. And most troubles are actually like this. They come to pass. They usually don't come to stay forever. It came to pass. And there have been times in my life that I wish I could spare younger Christians some of the trials of this life. I certainly felt that way uh, when we were raising our own children. And now I have to tell you, I have a major case of this regarding my own grandchildren. I don't want anything difficult to happen to them. But you know what? Biblically, I know I can't hold this thought forever because I know in the big picture that wouldn't be good for my grandchildren. It wouldn't be good for their faith. In fact, I even said to that couple a little over a week ago in their wedding homily that at times I thought how wonderful it would have been if they could have connected earlier in life. It may have saved them some of the heartaches they experienced. But in light of God's Word and God's providence, I recognize that they probably would not have been the same people they are today had they not had some of those hardships in life. It continues in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He, was, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty in this passage. We're getting down to the brass tacks. We've gone through all of these hardships, all of these troubles, all of this opposition and criticism for the faith, and this risking even of our own lives, all so that we can learn to rely on God and not upon ourselves. I remember reading years ago an article by Chuck Colson when he asked and he raised the question about why he even had to go to prison as a result of Watergate. And legally, he said, there was really no reason to put him in prison. And if you compare it to what's happening in our world today and the espionage and the, and the spying and the you know, surveillance and all the things that are going on and how people basically are hacking into this and hacking into that, and we have leaders in, in our halls of Congress in the Senate who probably should be in prison if Chuck Colson went to prison. But nevertheless, he ended up there. And for a long time, Chuck Colson struggled with that. Why did he have to suffer such humiliation? Why such shame and disgrace and the discontent of prison? But then the answer came to him. While he was imprisoned, he learned what prisoners go through. He saw these forgotten men and women of American society, the awful injustices that some of them face, the difficulty, even the impossibility of recovering themselves. And there was born in him a great compassion and a desire to help. And since he had, when he got out of prison, he actually devoted the rest of his life and ministry to going back 
and helping out these men and women. In fact, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And there have been wonderful stories that have come out of prisons all over America and dramatic changes in people's lives because Chuck Colson was sent to prison. You know, our sufferings in life may very well be for someone else's sake. And these verses are probably here when it's talking in verse 8 that, you know, we don't want you to be uninformed about these troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. It's probably referring to Acts chapter 19, which was the very next place that Paul went to after Corinth, a place known as Ephesus. And a great riot had broke out there and threatened the lives of many Christians. And it also, by all appearances, threatened the Christian cause. It looked like the church there might collapse. And all of Paul's hard work over the years was going up in smoke. Things really looked hopeless. Sort of like some people view our own nation and what's going on in our country right now. They have this hopelessness. I've heard it from so many people, just this despair that things are so hopeless. And I want you to realize something, that sometimes we suffer in life because God is trying to break down that stubborn will within us of self-reliance. How often do we, when we encounter troubles in life, how often do we try to work things out on our own? How often do we look for a human solution? How many times do we look for a political solution? In fact, many of those times, I think, we don't even really devote much time to prayer regarding these things in our lives. And even when we do, we kind of go through it sort of half-heartedly. Well, the very reason that the Apostle Paul began this pericope with focusing on God and ending it with focusing on God is because he wants us to know that God is our strength in the midst of afflictions. God is also never surprised by what we're going through. He's never startled or shaken by it. And he's the one that the Apostle says who will deliver us. He's delivered us in the past. He's going to deliver us in the present. He's the same one that will deliver us in the future. You know, the prophet Jeremiah uh, had a similar conversation to those in Judea who were on the brink of being uh, conquered by the Babylonians. And northern Israel had already, you know, ceased to exist uh, over a century before. And he'd warned them over and over to stop trusting in humanity and human resources and start trusting in God. Look to God. Well, here's what he said in chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Purchase any two identical plants at a nursery and plant one in a desert and one next to a river. And for a few days, those plants will look similar. But what happens as time goes along? The one that's planted in the desert is Prophet Jeremiah's image of the person who puts them, their trust 
in themselves, who puts their trust in their fellow human beings. That's verses 5 and 6. Meanwhile, in verses 7 and 8, is the person who trusts in God. They will be like this tree that has its roots sunk deep beside a stream. So it doesn't matter if the scorching sun comes. It doesn't matter if the elements look dire. If drought even comes, it will continue to bear fruit. Its leaves will continue to be green. See, some suffering in our lives is to teach us to put our roots down in the right place so that we rely on God and not upon ourselves. Well, verse 11 here wraps up our text by saying this, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. As Paul shares here that God has delivered us in the past, He is delivering us in the present, and He will deliver us in the future, he says we're not alone in all of this. We're members of one body. We're members of each other. We're members of God's church, which is why we need to share our struggles and share our prayer requests with one another in Christ so that we can enlist the aid of others to pray with us through these times of trouble. God is our comfort in the midst of affliction, and His comfort is complete. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, we confess to you today that we're often rude about our difficulties. Lord, we resent them. We do not want to accept them. We want them, Lord, to be removed from our lives. We do not want to have them come at us at all. And Lord, there are many times when we experience them that we get rebellious and we complain. Lord, help us to stop all of the complaining to stop the griping and the grousing and believe that you have sent these to deliberately show us a better way of life, a peaceful way of life, so that our hearts will be at rest because we are counting on you, the living God, to do something in our lives that we cannot do for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to trust and to be at rest and at peace in these troubling times these stormy waters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.